everybody, and welcome to the Flavor Text Podcast. I'm your host, Marina, and I'm converting and rolling out. And I'm Sunny, and I'm more than meets the eye. As you could probably tell, we've been made aware of the brand new Magic the Gathering canon, Space Bellerin meets Optimus Prime, and they become gay best friends. Of course they are. Of course they are. It's just, it has to be. They... Wizards of the Coast understand us. They understand that, that I mean, we predicted clown tribal. We, we predicted all these things. We predicted horse riding. Horse, horse horsemanship making a comeback in the Infinity set. So now everything we say here, you just got to take it as it's going to happen. Yeah, it's at this point, it's not shit posting. It's just prophecy. It's just Apollo has hit us with the fucking dodgeball. And we are unfortunately sustaining head injuries that also make us prophets. I, I, I got to say, so literally just today, and it, it put a smile on my face, um, Mod Ellardy on the Vorthos subreddit tagged the both of us and was just like, hey, did y'all see that like Gix is confirmed for Brothers for set? And I'm just like, I'm so glad that we're known for wanting this. Y- yes, us and Gix are Lord and Savior. <laughs> are, like you've seen the art, right? I, yes fucking he's packing he looks great he's got he's, a he's got the like the fucking high thong and he's packing they didn't have to draw him like that. they didn't and they did god bless us everyone tits out packing he fu- monster fuckers get in there he was more attractive than i was anticipating and i'm so happy for him i'm glad that every one of yogmoth's praetors has inherited yogmoth's in like inherent sexiness appeal. Yeah, yeah just like it's just none of his creations none no other phyrexians none have that sex appeal none. except for the praetors like and even then i mean okay i know everybody wants to bone elish norn even though like i think there's diseases in there yeah i don't trust it but like she is sexy though i i don't know like Shieldred's lower half is probably gonna do it for some people, but, like, I'm not into, like, dragon engines, I guess. Like... <laughs> I mean, teach their own, I guess. I, I guess so. There's no accounting for taste. Vorinclex definitely has diseases. Um, Urbrask is probably the only truly bonable one. I... Because he understands consent. Ur- yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Thank God I have an Urbrask card. Thank God that's the one you got. <laughs> Well, so today, today, get excited. We're finishing the Thran. We've got the, the last finale. two chapters to go into, and we've got a pretty thick list of related flavor text cards that my fiance's put together for us. So because that's a pretty big list, I wanted to do things in a bit of a different order today. Usually we do flavor text, chapter summaries, and the news. I'm switching it around. And we're starting with news today, and we're going to end with the flavor text supplementals because a lot of those will have a bit more context as we talk about the final chapters. So we're going to start with news. <laughs> and we've got a lot of news. I think what a lot of people are probably wanting to hear is, oh my god, the Brothers War cards got released. We're not talking about those yet. Next time. We're going to talk about those as we read Brothers War because there's a lot of spoilers in there, and I want to see Sonny's reaction as we get to those parts in the books. And, but, but I get it. 
There's a lot of fucking cool cards. They're really cool. Not beyond Gix getting confirmed, which is like the only thing I've shown Sunny at this point because God bless. Yeah, I, I, it's been hard to avoid spoilers because I, I'm excited for the Brothers War set, it and I, good. it does look so good. It's I'm excited for it with the exception of the fucking. So a couple controversies going on in the news right now. We, we'll we'll talk a little bit about the Transformers cards. So you thought they were a joke until like just now. Yeah, I I genuinely was like, oh yeah, the, like it looked like animation cells. So like I was talking with Richard about that. Apparently, yes, that's on purpose. They had the oh. artists try to recreate the fucking animation the cells, 80s. and they did it so well yeah, that it looks like, like a screenshot. I just thought they were like shitty screen caps <laughs> of the thing, and I was just like, oh, these are just jokes. No, so they're real cards, and I think what the biggest like complaint about it is, so you know about my Dracula cards, and yes. I've also mentioned like the Godzilla cards, and what those two sets were was... They were essentially layered armor over cards that already existed. Just a new skin. So, for example, like, I run a Dracula commander deck that is really just Edgar Charmed Groom, but I use the Dracula card because of the flavor, because those cards are really pretty. So, a lot of people are like, oh, Transformers cards, is that going to be a layered armor for cards in the Brothers War set that's going to be really heavy artifact-based? No. They're unique Real cards. What the fuck? <laughs> they are not layered cards. They are just, they're real cards. So what, are they, is it a secret layer thing? No. Or is it no. like a set in itself? No. So technically, yes, it is its own set, but they will be in the set boosters and the collector boosters for Brothers War. They will replace your, your mythics and legendaries and you have a ch- yeah. I don't want that. Exactly. Like so many people are like, but I want the Brothers War cards. It's like, why are you doing this to me, wizards? <laughs> and you know what the kicker is? There was an interview released about it where one of the guys admits, yeah, we could print in universe cards and make these layers, and they just aren't. <laughs> like they just aren't, y'all. <laughs> it's like, listen, like. My fiancé loves Transformers. It's one of his favorite series. This would normally be very exciting for him. And then this this gets dropped like this. Yeah, I don't... Like, if it was its own thing that you could buy, or if they were in collectors only, or... like I mean, I that would still kind of suck. I still thought they were jokes. <laughs> kind of. Kind of. And then, okay, the kicker. So there's a couple kickers here. First of all, I mentioned this to Sunny before the podcast started. They didn't get the right to use the word transform for their mechanic. Which is, I think, an oversight. So they're just convert. I'm like, how did you not get the rights for transform? And, and like, we were theorizing that maybe the reason why they aren't a layered set is because the cards they were layering over would have to be called convert as well, rather than the transform oh, mechanic. So it'd be more in mm-hmm. universe, I guess. Yeah, so it's like, because of this weird rules dichotomy, that might be a legitimate reason why they didn't print it that way, to which I'm going, Wizards of the Coast, how did you f- how did you not get that? How, you are a multi-billion dollar company, you I'm sure. you got Doctor Who cards coming out! And like, you couldn't get... The you word. couldn't get transformed. Like, 
their their cards are just bots. That's what the set is called, is bot. You know what? what? The transform mechanic was already in Innistrad. But yeah, that's what I'm saying, is it already existed, but they didn't get the rights to use the transform mechanic for their Transformers cards. I mean, people didn't really like the transform mechanic anyways. <laughs> At least use it with the name! <laughs> I think that would just make things... I, I mean, I, I guess I can see it. I guess. Like, I guess, but at the same time. But at the same time, it's... But it's um, an existing mechanic. And so that, to me, is like, well, if you've already got the existing mechanic, then that should be even easier. You would think. So it's like they somehow didn't get the rights to use Transform with their Transformers cards. Or they made the shit decision not to use Transform for their Transformers cards. I don't know which is funnier. I'm gonna be so upset if I open up a booster pack and fucking... Fucking Starscream's there. (laughs) I will be okay if Starscream's there. Oh, oh, okay. If any other bullshit thing <laughs> no, is there. No Megatron, no Bumblebee, no... Maybe Bumblebee. Okay, okay, so we're now we're making a list of acceptables. <laughs> There's two exceptions, Starscream and Bumblebee. Okay, all right. That's it. No, the only two. That's all, the only two that get a pass. Everyone else is getting torn up. Let's... Yeah, I'm gonna, get, I'm gonna be so mad. Well, on the subject of the Transformers cars, so... Richard has a crackpot theory. Yes. And I'm going to, he, he typed it up for us. I'm reading this for the first time live because holy shit, this is a theory. So um, he says, I've got an alarming tinfoil hat theory. On reviewing some of the content of Infinity, I noticed a trend among all clown cards. With one exception, uh, Pietra, more on her later, all clowns are robots. And again, with one exception, Omni-Clown Colossus, all clown tribal mechanics that care uh, pretty much care about robots and not clowns. So to start his crackpot theory, he says, here are some of the non-joke cards that carry out an infinity, that came out in infinity, which show the trend he's talking about. So these are legal cards. Um, there's Clowning Around, which is a one-white sorcery card, in which you create two one-one white clown robot artifact creature tokens, and then roll a six-sided die. If the result is equal to or less than the number of robots you control, then you create another 1-1 white clown artifact creature token. So again, based on robots. We've also got one clown band, which is a one in red artifact creature clown robot bard. And for two in a red, it can make target robot get plus two, plus zero until the end of turn. Not target clown, target robot. So... At the time of printing, these synergize with exactly five additional legal cards, most of which are commons. On the funny end of the spectrum, we've got cards like Assembled Ensemble, which is a four and white artifact creature clown robot bard, uh, which is a blank with six with vigilance. Its power is equal to the number of robots you control. Jesus. Whenever you cast a spell with an artifact creature in its art, you create a one one white clown robot artifact creature token. So again, robot tribal. And then you've got the Pietra, which is the only clown that's not a robot, but she's the crafter of clowns. She's a human clown artificer. But even so, she's got haste. She's a 3-2, and robots you control get plus one, plus one. So that's just your commander for your robot tribal. Well, technically, she's not legal. Oh. Um, And neither is Assembled Ensemble. But... um, the, the kind of the interesting thing is, is like, why does her enabling ability only target target robots? That's weird. 
Originally, Richard thought that this was exclusively to help enable better synergy internal to Unfinity, since there are exactly more four more cards in existence that are robots, but not clowns. But then I stumbled onto something odd in the Warhammer set, he says. He looks at Cybernetica Datasmith. It is a one blue and black, zero one artifact creature, human artificer, with protection from robots. Now, this is weird, he says. There are no robots within the Warhammer sets beyond the tokens this card makes. In the context of the cards released around the Cybernetica Datasmith, the protection from robot ability had no external value outside of changelings, and with Unfinity's release was only externally meaningful to the six printed robots in legal play. But with Brothers War, these controversial cards are to be included in non-draft booster packs. And we have all of the Transformers cards, which are all artifact creatures, and I think all legendary artifact creatures that are also robot. That's right. Like it or not, the Transformers crossover is invading the conflict between Urza, Mishra, and Phyrexia. We are introduced to 15 legendary mythic rare double-sided robot cards. While we may be seeing some robot cards from the main Magic Story universe in Brothers War, we we have yet to see any revealed so far. He says, my crackpot theory is that Clown Tribal was literally introduced to start paving the way for Transformers cards. To push his crackpot nonsense even further, he has a graph showing the color identities of the Robot Matters cards currently printed versus the color identity of the Transformers series. While the Transformers crossover is technically more color diverse, white and red hold a similar majority to clowns, with blue coming in third for most used colors. This is the same for Transformers. Oh my god. Like, it's... 40-40 with white and red for clowns, and it's 30-30 for Transformers, with 21% blue in Transformers, 10% blue in clowns. So they're all white-red-blue with some splash in the other colors. So it's entirely possible, Richard claims, that Clown Tribal is truly Transformers Tribal in its actuality. Oh my fucking god. I mean, it makes sense. <laughs> it makes sense to me. I'm willing to buy it. I'll 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 buy into it. I'm gonna fucking buy into it. I think we should all be passing around the gospel. Morrow can confirm, deny. Oh my god. Okay. Like I'm still so scared to send our crackpot theories to Morrow, but can you imagine me writing out like the was Clown Tribal meant to like pave the way for the Transformers cards? Confirm or deny. We waiting populace needs to know. For- Borthos needs to Borthos know. Borthos needs to know. God, speaking of Morrow, so time to go to the other controversy that was just released kind of today. So for the 30th anniversary, Wizards of the Coast is offering a $1,000 booster box oh, yes. with reprints from the reserve list that are not real cards because they are not legal in gameplay. And though their front is almost identical to what these cards would look like, the back does not have the tradition. Yeah. First of all, for years, Wizards of the Coast has been shitting on proxies, and Richard pointed out to me that these are essentially just proxies because they're not legal. You can't play them, but from the front, they look identical to these cards. Also, please don't buy this box. It's not worth it. A thousand dollars for unplayable cards. For unplayable cards. There's a lot you could do with $1,000 that's better for the world. Could help me pay rent. It helps Sunny pay rent. Donate to their to, to their Patreon. Or not their Patreon. Um, their PayPal. That's what I was trying <laughs> to say. We don't have a Patreon. 
Um, you could just give that money to me. Give that money to Sunny. Donate to your local, you know, shelters. Donate to your local, like, you know, health and recovery. Donate to your local zoos. There's so many better things. Better. <laughs> buy, just buy a, a few boxes of, like, sets. Buy, buy the brothers. Buy sets Yeah, just tear up the Transformers cards just, when you get them. Just spend your money better, please. Spend your, please spend your money elsewhere. If you, if you donate your $1,000 that you were going to use to buy this box to something else and send me the receipts, I will lodge you on the podcast and, and say whatever you want me to say on, on live. How, how Amazing. I'll, I'll say whatever. This is a standing offer. I will also say whatever if need be. <laughs> I am like, also here. Man, uh, uh, there was a pretty um, funny Maro Tumblr post uh, around this release where he's essentially like, stop referring to cards as real or not real. That's gatekeeping. <laughs> it's like, my- but I mean, they're either. Real or not, like no, they they may be proxy, but they're still real. <laughs> yeah, so is my printed fucking on printer paper proxies for my fairy deck, but that <laughs> they're not real. <laughs> so yeah, there's there's been a lot of um, there's been a lot of this the circle jerking Reddit has just been like we can't do it anymore. He's outplayed us. <laughs> Just like how how do, how do we keep up? How do we keep up with this? <laughs> like, uh, yeah, no. Of all the news that came out this week, I think the Brothers War stuff is the most exciting. It is really a shame. It's kind of like overshadowed by the weird Transformers release, and <sighs> now this thousand dollar fucking gotcha box. <laughs> I've noticed a trend in a lot of different companies that are essentially fucking up a good thing Mm -hmm. or quote maximizing profits Mm -hmm. activision with blizzard 2 oh god um (laughs) instagram with reels trying to be something else Mm -hmm. twitch implementing super chats that are that can't be opted out Mm -hmm. like they're they're trying to maximize these profits all while trampling on everything everybody had loved originally. I I was having this discussion, I think maybe literally yesterday, if not like a couple days ago with Richard, where I'll I'll write it back a bit. I think there's literally a Morrow post where he goes into like, you guys think you know what you want, but you don't. You complain about this mechanic and then you get over it in a few years and it just becomes a staple thing. And I look at that and I go... Yes, because A, we have no choice, and B, by that point, all of the stuff we were originally complaining about was probably banned. But C, no, I think we do know what we want. Yeah. And just because you, you know, keep not providing it and doing shitty things and then recovering from it doesn't mean you didn't do a shitty thing to begin with. And so many of these companies, it's so odd to me because it it seems like it should be easy. Like, I look at myself and I'm like, okay, like, if I was in charge of Disney. Disney's got so much shit going on with it right now that I feel like could just be avoided. Like they're going for so much nostalgia bait recently and, and instead of going for like genuine well thought out remakes because they want cash now, they want profit now. And I look at that and I go, but like 
if you're looking at things long term, it is better for your image and it is better for your profits to like to listen to to the trends of what people want yeah. and to and to go into like making something that comes with genuine heart. Right now, all I know Disney for is just like mediocrity. Yeah, it's and that's not it. great. I don't. I used to go to every Disney release, and now like I don't. I couldn't care less. And how many people are getting that fatigue because they're like, "Well, we got it for the short term profit. We got to go now, 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 now. We can't think about it. Just produce, just produce, just produce." And it's like, is Magic falling into that trend? I'm afraid that it might. Yeah, like it with that one K set. Like mm-hmm. it's. It just seems like a cash grab. Yeah, and, like, I get it. It's a company. Like, I know you want to make money, but this is always the kind of thing where I look and go, how do you feel about the long term, like... And they don't, because for them... They it's can, all about it, maximizing profits It's right all now. about now, because they don't know if they're going to have a company next year. They never think but, about it in that term. But the thing is, they're so successful that it's... Like, they might not grow... In Mm -hmm. a year, but they're still running. They think it's failure when they just stay the same. They need to keep climbing that profit ladder. And I think in their minds too, like when when it comes to things like these Transformers releases, they're going like, hey, this will get people who don't normally pay magic to buy the cards to get the Transformers cards. But this is also me looking at consumers and going, TCGplayer.com exists. Right? (laughs) You know, Card Trader, Card Kingdom or whatever exists. If you want these collector's cards, you can just buy them without buying packs. Those secondary sales aren't coming back to you either. Mm -hmm. Like... I don't know. I don't. I don't want to go on another like long rant about this per se. But I do yeah, look at these trends great. sometimes, and I go, "What the fuck are you thinking?" I want to be behind the scenes of some of these PRs. Like, I want to. I want to hear what their logic process is. If it's like, there's no way this could backfire on us. This thousand dollar like non card proxy, not proxy print. Yeah. <laughs> you want it, your black lotus? You can't play it though. Fuck you. Fuck you. It's like okay, I guess. I'll go fuck myself. I'll go fuck myself. And you know who else is going to go fuck themselves? Everyone in the Thran. Oh boy, are we segueing? I think it's time. I think we're ready to go into our final chapters. Let's take a quick little break. Okay. And get the fuck in there. Oh boy. Oh boy. All right, break over. So, we've got two chapters today, 29 and 30. It's really just one chapter, to be honest. It really kind of was just one chapter, so I'm going to go into all of them at once with my summation. Uh, Especially because 29 was really fucking short and kind of redundant. In one part, anyway. So let's begin. Let's start. Chapter 29. A milky white cloud descends on Halcyon, destroying everything it touches. Wood, brick, even people are disintegrated into nothing as the clouds cover everything. This is described in a lot of detail. We will move on from this. <laughs> it's pretty grotesque. Survivors flee into the caves of the damned towards Phyrexia. It's chaos as thousands run towards safety. Those who were once enemies are now simply scrambling to survive. I bring this one quote from the book that I unironically think is um, J. Robert King's Joker line. <laughs> oh, God. The line is thus. It was not a mad throng but tens of thousands of mad individuals flooding away from light and down into darkness. And then this will continue. Remember the madness line. This will culminate to the true Joker line in a bit. 
But the fact that it keeps referring to them as mad individuals. <laughs> it's interesting. Because they're cr- just panicked. They're just panicked. Overheard over the despair is Yogmoth, who is informing the masses of Halcyon's fate. All will turn to dust and be destroyed, and eventually that cloud is going to seep into the caves and essentially explode everything. I I think that's that's explicitly just not what happens. Yeah, because everything's just decaying. Everything's just decaying, and also the caves of Koilos are explicitly still there by Brothers War. So. I mean, whatever. What he the might fuck just ever. straight up be lying. Who knows? Uh, but he says there is a way to escape that fate. And he looks you, the reader, in the eye and says, let me tell you about Homestuck. I mean, Phyrexia. <laughs> he really does. He tells the masses that all are welcome. That all will be given shelter in Phyrexia. He he kind of describes the haven that will be awaiting them there and only asks that they let him be their god. And this is where the Joker line comes to fruition. They did. Every last creature opened his or her heart to Yogmoth, and he entered them. They were no longer solitary, for Yogmoth dwelt within. One became twos, and twos became fours and eights, until they were all made a mad nation. Fuck you. (laughs) It's a mad nation, Batman. They're just running all over each other, desperate for Yogg to be inside them. (laughs) We live in a society. A mad society. (laughs) Like, what are we doing here? What are we doing? Why are we just here to suffer? Yes. And speaking of suffering, (laughs) we cut to Rebek and her goblins who have yet to enter the mad throng to Phyrexia, and Rebek doesn't really think she wants to. She demands to look upon her husband in his healing coffin one last time. We get a scene where they open it and they reveal that Glacian's finally passed away. His um, his machine is no longer keeping him alive, he is cold, and both Rebek and the goblins mourn him, in a scene that I think is kind of sweet. Um, especially, like... Rebek makes mention of, like, yeah, Glacian, like, loved his goblins, and, like, they were, like, his friends, and here they are, like, crying over him with me, and, you know, she loves and misses her husband, and holy crap, like, I can't believe after all this time he's finally gone. After this morning scene, the goblins leave to go to Phyrexia, choosing to live rather than face the nuke cloud, but Rebek decides she's going to stay behind. For some reason, we now get another several pages of refugees once again going into Phyrexia and Yogg welcoming them in. And when does the horror set in? Like, kind of maybe near the end, if at all? Like, Yeah, like, it, it, they sneak it in there. Just very briefly towards the end, like, when they're looking at all of the already Phyrexians and going, oh, that's a little, oh, that's a little fucked up. Uh-uh. Like, hmm. Is that, is that what they're gonna happen to us? <laughs> like, they look to the camera and go, is this shit for real? And then the chapter ends. They're like, can you see this shit? Did you see this shit? Did you see this fucking weird shit over here? They've got like buckets on the walls. I don't know what that's about. I, I don't get it. I don't get it. Like, Yogg's just sitting there like creaming himself. Like, <laughs> who, who fucking knows what Yogg's doing anymore? And that's the whole fucking chapter. So, like... Like I said, I'm going to continue because it's really, really short. And I think these two probably should have been one chapter, but clearly J. Robert King needed 30. Yeah, we they had to push for 30, so they chopped it up. They chopped it up. So chapter 30 begins. We're going to cut back to Rebek, who's alone now. And she's still kind of talking to the corpse of her husband as she awaits what's her inevitable death at this point. 
Um, she's kind of like, you know, feeling him, holding his hand, like mourning what was. But then she realizes his side is warm to the touch. And in a kind of manic fit almost, she grabs scalpels, like pulls aside his clothes, sees that the wound never really healed. And she cuts open the wound in his side, revealing that there are two charged heart stones that were implanted in him clearly by Yagmoth. They're the reason Glacian never got well. As a note to any listener, these are the two same stones that were used to open the portal to Phyrexia. This is where Yogmoth hid them in his miraculous sleight of hand affair. Uh, she pulls the crystals out and she realizes that they're kind of still warm and, and kind of in a fit of inspiration. She puts them together. She unites them. She puts two halves into a hole. And as they merge, it kind of lights up the whole chamber in this brilliance. And then she starts to hear Glacian's voice in her mind. He is technically still alive, because it turns out the stone has absorbed his personality and his memories. This is because the stones absorb great sources of energy, and it turns out that Glacian had the energy of an unsparked planeswalker within him. This was definitely hinted at all through, like, the reason Dyfed was there, why she was so interested in Glacian to begin with. She's been hinting about, like, a, you know, latent planeswalker among them. Here you finally have your final confirmation. He speaks to Rebek in her mind and tells her that he knows of a way to trap Yogmoth away from Dominaria forever. She has to take his stone to seal the portal, and he will be the gatekeeper that keeps Dominaria safe. It'll be a long eternity, but he kind of has like a, you know, maniacal chuckle moment of like, I'm going to keep that bastard miserable through that whole process, and it's going to be worth it's it. It's going to be my redemption arc. It's going to be revenge. It's going to be Everything. Everything. Remick kind of mourns him for this because, like, she realizes, like, this is going to be a long eternity for you and admits he's been right about Yogmoth all along. The two share a sort of kind of spiritual embrace and kiss, and it's a little sweet, I will say. Like, that that was kind of a touching scene of a finally, like, the two of them actually get to have a sane moment together, yeah. even though Glacian's, like, a spirit being at uh, this an point. An ephemeral thing. <laughs> thing. Um, and then Remick begins her descent down towards the portal of Phyrexia. We cut to Yogmoth. He's totally not just creaming his pants at all the new people he just assimilated. And as he's doing this, as he retreats back to his inner chamber, he realizes someone's missing. Where the fuck's Rebek? Oh shit. Rebek's gone. Glacian's gone. Oh fuck, Dyphid's dead. Oh, oh, Rebek left with Glacian. He knows exactly what they're going to do. And he has a moment of panic. He rushes to the portal. We cut back to Rebek, who reaches the portal, but hesitates. She kind of has a I'm not quite ready to die moment, but some of this is I'm not really ready to let go of Yogmoth, which Glacian realizes, despite everything, she also still loves him. You see Yogmoth calling to her from the other side of the portal, begging her, beckoning her to join him, but in a kind of neat little, like, aside, he refuses to step through the portal because he doesn't want to get stuck on the other side, where he won't be a god. Eventually, Rebek places the stone onto its pedestal. She says her last goodbye to Yogmoth, says her last goodbye to her husband. Glacian says goodbye to her, and the portal closes, trapping all of Phyrexia in its place. The power stone there, and this is a quote from the book, seemed a pair of hearts pulsing in synchronous beat. From there, the final bit of the book, Rebek turns and begins her ascension up into the white clouds that have consumed Halcyon. I won't lie that the ascension part 
hit me. That it hits. It was pretty prominent, like poignant. It was really poignant, and it's like for all of the the foibles of part four of this book, this chapter I think was unironically the best chapter. Yes, it wraps up nicely. I hate that she. No, I don't hate it. Her going to her death calmly is. I think it was just finally the acceptance of this is all I could have ever done at this point in time. I think it's the recognition of her acknowledgement of how she's helped this fuck up happen. Like her acknowledgement of like, she didn't believe Glacian, like she wasn't there for her husband. Like she maybe should have been. She called Yogmoth a God before he considered himself one. Mm-hmm. She did. Like she actively kind of contributed to all of this. And then I also kind of love seeing the panic in Yogmoth kind of growing as he realizes fuck, I know what I would do because he makes mention of it's like, yeah, I'm gonna miss all of their hatred for me. I guess they're going out there to die. Wait a minute, they fucking hated me. What would I do if I hated me this much? Yeah. Oh no. Yeah, it's it's a great <laughs> dawning thing. And he's like, he missed, the, he missed all that hatred. He's like, where'd it go? Where'd it go? What where'd would it be doing? Oh God. Oh fuck. I know what I'd do. And it's a really like... On top of that, too, because this book has talked so much about, like, ascending and ascending and how we have to ascend past, like, what we were, like, at the expense of others, at the expense of not acknowledging what you have to do to step up. And this ascension, which is her walking to the inevitable conclusion of everything, like, that symbology, that, like, parallel, like, metaphor just hits really, really, really good. And this is part of, like, I look at this book and go... J. Robert King was clearly commissioned for a set amount of chapters, and there's, like, a whole part of this book that I think could be cut, and the story would still be just as poignant. Yes. Especially with this final chapter. Like, 29 and 30 should have been one chapter, and holy fuck, like, again, best part of part four by far. Yeah, it was, it was just so weighty, Mm -hmm. and, like... Like the mad, the the mad masses or whatever, just the panicked scrambling mm-hmm. of people who are about to die, crawling to Yogmoth. Mm-hmm. Like as much as I joke about this as a Joker line, kind of, it does still really have a lot of weight to it about like what's going on with the situation, and you you definitely get the these people are so desperate to live that they don't know what they're running to. Yeah. And I like that a lot. And even like Yogg himself, while he's sitting there kind of creaming himself, is just like, God, I just got so many new organisms to play with today. Like y'all don't even know how cool this yeah, is. He's like, this is such a win for me. Mm-hmm. And, then, and then it's the ultimate loss for him. And I do love, so, like you can probably tell, I even kind of lingered on the line. This is very much theorizing Brothers War. The two halves of that power stone are the Might and Weak Stone. We will be seeing them as we get into the first part of Brothers War and what that means and how they're found. But, like, it's subtle. It's the kind of thing where it's like, if you don't know about Brothers War, I don't think you get why it's lingering on the fact that there are two halves of a whole and why there are two hearts beating kind of in, like together. But like, once you're in the know, it's just like, oh, that's kind of clever. That's a little like bit of foreshadowing. And that's going to come back and be like a really interesting tie later on. I'm, I'm excited to see that mm-hmm. come up again. I think another thing of note too, of it mentioned that there were like, artifact like guards kind of by the portal and as the portal got sealed off like they got cut off from phyrexia and were no longer functional 
Um, I think those get found in Brothers War explicitly, so we'll keep an eye when we get to the part where they're fine. Like, I don't think it's spoilers to say at this point that they're eventually going to find this oh, portal. Oh, it's on the fucking cover. <laughs> it's not only on the cover, but, like, we know Phyrexia gets out somehow. Yeah. So it's like, well, someone's got to find a way to open it up again. Um, but yeah, the foreshadowing in this chapter was really good. I think this is some of the best character work they've had in a long time. It's nice to see a sane Glacian. This is the only time Glacian's been sane. Yeah, it's the only time he's been fucking clear lucid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's like you can see like a little bit of mischief in him when he's talking about like Yogmoth's gonna fucking stew in there and it's gonna be because of me. <laughs> <laughs> this fucker is gonna be so angry. And it's just like and and you can see like the brief spark between him and Revik, and it's just like yeah, there was something there, even if we didn't like get to see it. And yeah. it was kind of sweet to see that moment with the two of them. I like I liked chapter thirty a lot. Yeah. I think it was pretty good. Yeah, and I it it did break my heart when he when Rebek was like I loved him, mm-hmm. and he was like what? Yeah, and he was just like fuck. I was right. You did love him. And it's the thing, because you're kind of getting her mind only in that particular point of view. And it's like, you do get the impression she loved them both. Yeah, it wasn't like a one over the other thing. No, it wasn't a one over the other thing. I think she loved them both for different reasons. But it is just that kind of sour realization of God, like, you did love him. And, like, that's why she's hesitating the way she is, is because she's still kind of grappling with that emotion. But in this particular case, I liked that grapple. It was a nice little, like, dramatic delay. Like, the yeah. will she, won't she with Yogmoth reaching his little devilish grubbers at her. Like, <laughs> <laughs> his little Phyrexian phalanges. His little fieners. <laughs> <laughs> so that's chapter 30. That's the end. That's and I think I think now we should maybe talk about it as a whole. What, Sunny, this was your first read-through of it. What did you think overall? I had fun. Mm -hmm. I enjoyed it. Um, A lot of it was cringe. (laughs) A lot of it was hard to get through. A lot of it was, like, big war scenes that I do not give a shit about. (laughs) But there was a lot of character-driven vignettes and... Mm-hmm. scenes that really illustrated like Glacian and Yogmoth especially and Gix. Mm-hmm. Poor Rebecca doesn't really get that, but she does have her moment at the end. She does. I think unironically J. Robert King's strengths are in those vignettes, in those small interlaced character moments. I don't think he writes more scenes very well. I think they're just a bit much. They're, um, for me, they're a bit too verbiose. Yeah. They're, it's like trying to decipher what he's trying to say. It's too, what's the word I'm looking for? Too abstract? Yeah, I, I read a lot. And I read a lot of fantasy books and books that have action, a lot of sci-fi that has action scenes. I will say this, action scenes are hard to write. I do acknowledge that, especially as someone who likes to write myself. Um, Getting an action scene to be clear is one of the, I think, the hardest things that you can do as a writer. Because I think, and, and maybe this is a personal experience, but I think a lot of writers will understand what I'm talking about. Like, when I'm imagining a scene, I'm almost kind of picturing a movie. I don't 
in my mind just auto generate the words of a scene. Like I'm trying, I'm looking at a scene You're and going trying to like describe frame it. by frame. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, is that visual for heavy action, I think, will always just transfer better to your brain than trying to describe it. Like, being able to put that on paper is a fucking talent. And if you can find an author that can do that, give them all the praise for it. Like, unironically, any author would, I think, just be thrilled to hear that they can do that right at all. And when I look at, like, J. Robert King's depictions of war... He focuses, he focuses, first of all, a lot on the atrocity. And in a way, I get that, because he's trying to show that this is a fucked up war led by a fucked up man. But there is a certain point where it's like, this is gratuitous and not adding to anything we didn't really already know. And at what point, like, war movies are a thing. Yes. I know this because my, my dad has watched many of them. And a lot of times, like, he'll be like, Marina, like, you know, you want to watch this with me? Like, your mom never wants to watch this. And I'll be like, okay. And I'm like, I realize why. It's because war movies are almost kind of torture porn in a way. And they're meant to, like, show that it's fucked up. But, like, again, at a certain point, you're sitting there and it's, like, two hours into the movie. And you're like, how much more of, like, this guy's limb got blown off can I sit through before it's just, I'm numb to it. Yeah. You know, it's not really getting the shock factor that you want it to have when that's all I've been reading or seeing or watching for a while now you have to kind of parse it and and pick yeah. it up more like put put more rest scenes like he, he's had it he's had the war part at a 10 and keeps it there and keeps it there and keeps it there for chapters and chapters and chapters like we need a break we need like an up and down so that we can recuperate and like be shocked by it again otherwise we're just reading it again going fucking okay so I, he racially slurred the minotaur at this point i'll take it like, yeah <laughs> i think i think part of it is that he had a set amount to have to write yes i definitely agree and and it definitely shows that it's just too much and he's like i need to make this 30 chapters i need Mm -hmm. to have to put all of this atrocity of what wizards has set out for me to do i look at the structure and i think I could have replaced about a third of these war scenes with, like, more character for Rebic, more character for Dyfed, who, like, barely got any she screen time. She didn't get anything. Despite kind of being the instigator. Put in a little backstory for the guy who made Phyrexia, because we don't get, like, super much with him, but it's implied Dyfed knew him. Yeah. So it's like, oh, it could be kind of interesting. She like, could have told a story about it. Could have told a story. Like, what's her relationship? Why did she know about this place? Like, these are things I think could have been given a bit more weight. And have added more to the story. And you still could have had ample time to show off like the war crimes yeah. and Yogmoth's atrocities. I do think the front end of the book ends up reading better than the back end. Um, like I said, part four is hard to read. It's yes. kind of a slog. Whereas parts one and two are kind of just fun and interesting seeing the rise yeah, of it's... Yogg. I mean, it's slow going. The pacing is a bit wonky, but... It it take it takes us on a journey that's not boring, mm-hmm. right? Like it's just we are seeing things as they fold out naturally, mm-hmm. and then we're like, "Oh shit, Yagmoth needs to be bad." So uh, <laughs> three and four parts. Uh, go go go! War crimes go go! <laughs> like uh, we have nukes now. We have nukes. Oh god, we have nukes. <laughs> and then we can end it really quickly. Mm-hmm. 
as I think as you said it, Yogg started like and then ended the fucking arms race within the span of like a day. <laughs> Genuinely did. He's like, I've created the nuclear bomb and now everybody is dead. Proliferation, what is that? Oh my lord. It's it's a hell of a ride. If you could rate this book out of ten, what would you rate it? I'm putting you on the spot. <laughs> Genuinely, I think I'd give it like seven, seven and a half. I enjoyed it. It was it wasn't poorly written. It does have its faults and its seams that show, but it wasn't boring. It wasn't uninteresting. It was a little, a little bit funny at times. <laughs> one for Yagma. <laughs> and one for Yagma. <laughs> Popped corn, let's go. It it has its little quirks, and I think that's what makes it so special. I think I would agree with you. I think I would put it solidly at a 7 out of 10. Uh, like, like we've talked about, while it does have its faults, it is ultimately better than average. Um, I have definitely read some average fantasy books, and this was more entertaining than that. This was easier to read than most fantasy books, which I think helps kind of pump it in its favor. I mean, I know we were just talking about it being hard to read in some segments, but genuinely, overall, it's one of the easier to read books. I think anybody who wants to get into the Thran will get into it pretty well. Yeah. Um, even if you're not like a huge reader. I mean, like, you know, even Sonny's talked about like, hey, like you've had trouble getting into books yeah, in the past. I, I suck with books. But you got through this. But I did. And it's, it was a pleasant ride. And I'm excited to read the next book to learn more. Mm -hmm. And it just makes me really excited to be part of the Vorthos community and... Right on time! Brothers War Reveals have just gotten started. And speaking of the book, so what do we want to start with for our read next time? Um, let me pull up the Brothers War book. Hello there, lovely cover. So... It also has four parts. Um, it has, including a prologue and an epilogue, like 36 chapters. It doesn't really have intermissions. Um, and on top of that, uh, new author, Jeff Grubb. So we'll be That's getting exciting. a new author. Um, my suggestion would be, at the very least, the prologue. And two chapters. And maybe two chapters. We can do that. These this book is a bit longer than the Thran. So, looking at my um, my ebook, uh, five hundred and fifteen pages for Brothers War compared to three hundred and twenty nine for the Thran. Okay, so a little meatier. <laughs> Excuse me, but that makes sense. More chapters, and I think the chapters themselves are meatier. Um, so we will do the prologue and the first two chapters for a read through next time. I think kind of our plan because we're hoping to advertise this podcast a bit more for the brothers were set is we're going to kind of do like a fresh introduction of ourselves and a fresh brand new start it's going to be it's going to be a new season for us yeah a new season this is kind of like the end of season one in a way so that's how i've been mm -hmm. putting it in the oh yeah no, you, i know yeah we have been doing this as season one so yeah this is the end of season one season two will be prologues the prologue is called opposites attract hey before we get into our last part i just mm -hmm. want to say uh, thank you all for listening. Yeah. It really means a lot that so many of you have 
joined us for what is it? This is our 12th episode? Our 12th episode, and we, we watch our stats, and we've got an average of about 50 views per episode, and which is insane. Yeah, that's that, that for us, that's huge. That's really huge. I was I was going to be happy with, like, 10 people listening. Yeah, I was, I did not genuinely think that we would amount to that much. So, thank we you We have all. our small niche community. We do. And y'all who have been super supportive, who's been sending us your requests or even just your happy comments, we love you all. Um, we have gotten through the Thran in no small part due to your encouragement. So, thank you for joining us on this incredible, incredible book journey. It's kind of bizarre to think we've gotten all the way to the end of the Thran now and, and we're going to be moving on, but not quite yet. Because as I mentioned... We've got a lot of cards to look at, because this is Magic the Gathering, the card game. So do we want to take a quick break and maybe do our flavor texts before we wrap it up, per se? I sure... Yeah. Yeah, all right. Break time. We'll be back in a minute with cards. All right, break's over. Let's go. So, as I mentioned, Richard put together a pretty decent... Flavor text supplemental for us. Um, he says, "Will this be available for others to oh, yeah. read along with us?" Oh yeah, I will be linking this in the podcast description. So please feel free to open it up and read along, and you can see all of the cards that are being referenced. The art, um, Richard is pretty fucking good about like finding and organizing these. So give him a read. Yes, please Look join us. Arts. Join us. Um, He says, congratulations, we've made it to the end of the Thran and are on our way to Brother's War. He's been sitting on this one for a few episodes, but he says, now as you transition between books, I wanted to share a mostly comprehensive review of every card ever printed that references the Thran, Halcyon, Glacian's Manor Rig, and or the Caves of Koilos slash the Caves of the Damned. Despite the massive influence Yawgmoth and the Thran have had on Magic's history, its representation in the game was surprisingly sparse throughout the years, mostly represented from the perspective of Urza and other artificers looking back on and recreating Thran relics. While some of the cards included here have extremely mild spoilers for the first few chapters of Brothers War, he says I have removed any cards from this list that contain non-trivial spoilers for things to come. So if anybody's looking at this and wondering, why wasn't this card included? It's probably because it's a bit more spoilery than some of the other And I need to stay pure for the masses. You do have to stay pure for the masses. (laughs) It's fun to see your live reactions. I don't want to ruin them. Uh, All right. So um, there are also a few cards in here that astute listeners may have already sent, but they're still included for completeness and context. All right, all that said, without further ado, here is every non-major Thran, non-major spoiler Thran card printed, sorted by original year printed with updated aesthetics for every relevant reprint. We start in March 1994 in the Antiquities set. The first, and for several years only, reference to the Thran was the card Su Chi. As its flavor text suggests, they are flawed copies of Thran technology and were our only window into what Thran technology and culture were like. It was redesigned in June of 2014 for the Vintage Masters set to have a more modern look. This card is also one of the ultra-rare few on the reserve list. So, I'm going to read the card, what it does, and then show Sunny the original art. So, Suchi is a four-colorless, 4-4 artifact creature. It has the ability, if it goes to the graveyard, its controller gains four colorless mana. The flavor text is thus. 
Flawed copies of relics from the Thran Empire, the Su Chi were inherently unstable but provided useful knowledge for Takasia's students. What I will say to you, because we will be immediately reading it, Takasia's students were Urza and Mishra. We will be reading about things from Takasia's perspective in our first two chapters of the Thran. Here's the Su Chi card. He's a little snake boy! <laughs> He's like a little snake creature. Your little brain is exposed. A little exposed brain creature. So it's like it's a little... It's not bad looking. It kind of oh. looks rad as fuck. It looks rad as fuck. I love the original Suchi art. It, it's... To describe it to anybody who's just listening, like, imagine a kind of artifact, snaky looking guy with his brain exposed Frankenstein style. And, like, there's a cage above the brain, and this guy's just, like, drooling pure white light. Mm -hmm. And it's so cool. It's rad as fuck. I love the art for this card immensely. And we also cut to the reprint, which has the same flavor text, same cost, same everything. I think that was a downgrade in the art. It just looks like a fucking like robot golem. It's just now. a dude. It's just That's a bro. just a dude. I love the original way better. Um, yeah. So yeah, no downgrade in my opinion. But yeah. there's the reason. I mean, it's nice to have it updated, mm-hmm. but I wish I had the original. The original is way cooler. All right, we cut now to March 1997, fifth edition. Good old Ornithopter. Oh, good. Originally printed in Antiquities in 1994, the flavor of this card was changed in 1997 from being a completely original design by Urza to a redesign of Thran technology. The art for the Ornithopter was changed in September of 2003 for Mirrodin with a version created by Karn for a new plane, but the flavor text was once again reverted to the Thran version in July of 2005 for 9th edition. So the original Ornithopter, or rather the 1997 Ornithopter. So Ornithopter is a zero cost, zero two flying artifact creature. I love Ornithopter. It is my cute little boy. The flavor text is thus. It's a quote. It has been my honor to improve on Thran's original design. Perhaps history will remember me in some small part for my work. Urza and his apprenticeship. <laughs> yeah, Urza. Womp, womp, womp. Um, that or- aged poorly. The ornithopter's got a little batty wings. It's just kind of a little... A little stick guy. It's a little stick flying little helicopter with little bat wings. It's cute. It's doing its best. It's doing its best. Um, the reprint art for 2005 has the same flavor text. Uh, this one looks a little more like a dragon. Kind yeah, of it creature. has more substance to it, but it still looks like a contraption. Mm-hmm. And I love that about it. It's like a, it's like a little like kite that like a kid would be flying outside. Yeah. It's, it's very cute and I love it. Next in June, 1997, we have the Weatherlight set. For the first time on a printed card, we get to see Thran technology unfiltered by Urza in the art of Thran Forge. We also get to see that the design for the Skyship Weatherlight was built off of design in a recovered Thran tome. Neat. He says, I know the Weatherlight is something we've kind of seen in Dominaria United, but he's going to hold off saying or showing more until we get to the Weatherlight story, which is a whole, like, I think, trilogy of books, if I recall. It's big, it's important, we'll get there. Eventually. Eventually. (laughs) Additionally, there is a legendary Phyrexian card with a particularly good look at the Null Moon from this set added for the heck of it. Ooh. So we'll start with Thran Forge, which is a three colorless mana artifact. And you can pay two until end of turn target non-artifact creature gets plus one plus zero and is an artifact creature. The flavor text is thus. 
This will work, Gerard called to the elves as he used the forge to strengthen the Aberoth. But if it doesn't, we won't survive to care. (laughs) (laughs) So we've got this, like, little pyramid thing that's, like, beaming light onto a person. Uh, I don't know a better way to describe this forge. It's like if the, uh... The Illuminati eye, yeah, had had like a hamehameha, uh-huh. hamehameha, whatever the fuck it is. You can roast me in the comments. I don't care. <laughs> it's, it's, it's firing a laser at this at dude. this person that's I think writhing in pain or praying. It's kind of hard to tell. Um, I don't know. Put your best gets in the comments. Like it's kind of like a there's like a fist up like, that could be praying or it could be it could be any. Um, but yeah, just kind of an, an interesting, simple little pyramid art. What what I I noticed about this that I thought was kind of funny, and I'm gonna let Sunny take another look. The center of the little pyramid that's barfing like the lightning laser looks like it's got two little squinty eyes, and it's vomiting it from a mouth. Oh my god, it does. <laughs> like is this thing alive? It's What's like going on? really wrinkly too. Mm-hmm the fuck <laughs> it's interesting art i will say that i don't know i'm kind of into it i'm kind of into it too and it has this is weird at the top there's spikes either jutting out of it or floating around it or, or being, going back into or getting sucked in i'm not sure it by the look of it it has the motion of going out mm-hmm. and it it's kind <laughs> of funny to me it is really kind of funny because it's just like now, Gerard's a name that I, I think we're going to have to remember. I'm pretty sure he's, he might be the Weatherlight Captain, if not, like, is definitely part of the crew. I forget. I'm about to get roasted. Something about that. He's definitely part of the crew. <laughs> Next up, we have the mentioned Thran Tome, which is a four colorless cost artifact with the ability pay five and tap. Reveal the top three cards of your library to target opponent. Bury one of those cards of that opponent's choice. Draw the remaining cards. The flavor text is thus. Every line holds a tail, and between lie a thousand more. So it's a book, but you can see the design for the Weatherlight ship literally in the book. Um, That is just the Weatherlight. Oh, wow, yeah. So that's definitely like where that tie to the future stuff will come in. But very explicitly, it is just a Thran tome. It's good art. It's good art. All right, moving on uh, to Morinfen, who is our, I guess, Phyrexian legend, but he's just a summon legend in the art. For three and two black, he is a 5-4 with flying with a cumulative upkeep of one life. Because back back in the day, this was top tier. Oh, <laughs> I'm, wow. sh- I'm sure. Um, it has a flavor text that is a quote. I looked into its eyes, and its soul was so empty I saw no reflection, no light there. From Crovax. I have no clue who Crovax is. Who the fuck? But you can see a large moon and a small moon. I think the small moon is probably Probably the the null moon. Yeah. So that's... Look at this guy. He has a a weird little face. (laughs) He's just a weird little dude. The fuck is up with him? Phyrexians just be like that, I guess. He looks... Too organic to be Phyrexian, but I guess that's just my closed-mindedness. It is, but I also think, like, you're not wrong. I think a lot of early Phyrexian aesthetic was just demons. Okay. Like, I I would not, like, especially looking at some of the cards that I use in, like, my Yawgmoth deck. Like, even the Phyrexian gremlins, they just look like little gremlins. They're they're just little guys. I fucking love that card. It's so cute. 
Moving on. October 1998, Urza Saga. More direct references to Thran technology came with the Urza Saga set. Most of what is here builds the history of the Thran's relationship with mana undistinguished by color. The only card here to be redesigned with the Thran in mind is Cathodion, uh, reprinted in Commander 2014 with a more modern look. That said, the flavor text for the worn Power Stone card was added in its 2010 reprint to reference Glacian's discovery in the novel directly. Beyond that, we have some of our first mentions and depictions of the Mana Rig, which in this case was a duplicate of the facility Glacian worked in to create the Power Stones in Halcyon rebuilt in Shiv. We'll get more of what's going on there in later books. So first, I think I'm saying it right, it's the Cath cathodion because it's like a playoff of cathodes and ions but okay. it's like it's like a combo word it is a three colorless three three artifact creature and when it is put into a graveyard from play add three colorless mana to your mana pool so it's kind of like the um the first mm -hmm. artifact creature that we looked at it's got the flavor text thus instead of creating a tool that would be damaged by heat the thran built one that was charged by it and we've got just kind of some very generic machinery art with like a little light bulb at the center. Yeah, very steampunky almost. Yeah. With a lot of gears and a lot of vents. Mm -hmm. Those kind of light bulbs that are really old and long. Mm -hmm. It's not necessarily striking. Um, I think it's probably more important to us for it's just flavor text to reference yeah. the brand at all. It, it, it's interesting to look at, but it's hard to parse. I do like that, like that specific mechanic of the get colorless mana for putting into a, a graveyard does seem to be a Thran theme. I yeah. think that's very interesting. Like, even if it's destroyed, there's still... Mm -hmm. And then we get the reprint, which I think is actually an upgrade because now now it's a dude. Now it's like a little Bioshock dude. <laughs> oh my god, you're right. It's It looks like a big daddy. <laughs> Guy's got it going on, a little pudgy. A little pudgy, little little diver suit looking guy. I love him. He's really cute. I, I think that was a glow up. Congratulations. Congratulations, Kethodion. <laughs> Next we have an instant that is Heat Ray. For X mana cost and red, it will deal X damage to target creature. And it's got the following flavor text. It is not known whether the Thran built the device to forge their wonders or to defend them. And for the art, we've got this goblin getting fucking wrecked. Oh my god, <laughs> that goblin's fucking dead. Getting wrecked by a heat ray. I, I, it is just that. That's all that art is. It reminds me of the... the You know, the, the rays that they had defending Halcyon. Yeah, and I, I do love that they kind of, because this is looking back like a historian would, and they're going like, what is this used for? It's, <laughs> it's like, like it's, it's a war machine, it's, actually. It's literally just the lasers. <laughs> but they can't call it a laser. That's sci-fi. We aren't sci-fi We aren't sci-fi. Transformers aren't canon. <laughs> Fuck me, I guess. <laughs> Alright, moving on, we've got Thran Quarry, which is a land. And at the end of each turn, if you control no creatures, you sacrifice Thran Quarry, but you can tap it to add one mana of any color to your mana pool. Uh, doesn't come with flavor text, but it is a Thran Quarry, and we've got for the art, like, kind of more just steampunky, like, artifacty engine vibes, I would say. Like, it's a machine. The green kind of makes it feel a little bit sci-fi, but the smokestacks kind of draw that back. Mm -hmm. It's kind of an interesting blend of, of modern and, and older tech. 
is the one yeah. thing I'll give it. It's interesting. It looks like a bug with a horrific jaw. It does. <laughs> All right. Next, we've got Thran Turbine, which is a one colorless mana artifact. During your upkeep, you may add two colorless mana to your mana pool, but it cannot be spent to play spells. It has the flavor text, when Urza asked the Viashino what it did, they answered, it hums. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Thanks, y'all. We have a little a little guard dude looking upon a superheated set of, like, pipings, I would almost kind of say. Oh my god, these things are glowing with the heat of a thousand suns. They fucking are. That poor little guard is sweating out the ass, Oh my I'm god, sure. he looks like he's, like... In a fucking heat resistant <laughs> suit or something, yeah. but I can only imagine that sucks still. Mm-hmm. Oh, and there's a little guy up above. Oh shit, did I miss that? Yeah, he's up in the little black. Oh uh, fuck, you're so there's right. Yeah, there's guy. like a little dude watching. Oh, he's got his little hands out. Oh, that's kind of cute. They they definitely look like they're wearing suits. They do look like they're wearing suits. Uh, artist Brian uh, Snowdy. That's really cute. Thank you for that. Appreciate that. We appreciate this. <laughs> All right. Next, we have the mentioned Worn Power Stone, which uh, had flavor text added in its reprint. Originally, it was a three mana, three colorless mana artifact. It comes into play tapped, and you can tap it to add two colorless mana to your mana pool. Play this ability as a mana source. You can tell that's an old card. Um, and the art remained the same in the reprint, uh, but the flavor text was added. Even a fragment of a power stone contains within it not just energy, but space. Vast dimensions trapped in fragile crystal. That's explicitly Glacian's discovery. Yes. The art is, it's its like an orange little stone with like fun little swirlies kind of built into it. Oh. Um, it looks like the heart of Tefiti from... A little bit. Yeah. It has that kind of organic look to it. Mm-hmm. And it's glowing. And it's there. And here I thought the power stone... They were perfect geometric shapes. Yeah, that's the one maybe critique I'd have of it is because the book does explicitly like describe them as D20s when they're perfect. Yeah. <laughs> to, like, so this, I think this it looks a, good as a card. But it is but imperfect. But it is incorrect. It's imperfect. <laughs> it wouldn't power things correctly. <laughs> it is imperfect and it will explode on you. It will. Uh, next, we have Acidic Soil, which is a sorcery for two and a red. It deals one damage to each player for each land they control. So, fuck you, late game. Um, Yeah, I guess. And the flavor text is thus. Phyrexia had tried to take Urza's soul. He was relieved that Shiv tried to claim only his souls. The him referring to the guy who's getting fucking melted in this acidic soil here. Which I think, so, oh. in the art, I think the mana rig might be depicted on there. Souls as S-O-L-E, like the yeah. soles of your feet. Yeah, so, in the back left, I think, is the mana rig that um, Richard was referring to. That's supposed to be a duplicate of Glacian's. It, lo- it looks like a facility. It does look like a facility. Uh, moving down... We have Meltdown, which is an X and red sorcery to destroy each artifact with total casting costs X or less. The flavor text is catastrophes happen so often at the mana rig that the Viashino language had a special word to describe them. And here we have a bunch of kind of like just vases that are melting in lava, it looks like. (laughs) Yeah, either of these are melting metals or melt... Oh no, they're metal. 
Like metal bases. Yeah. And there's a sword Mm -hmm. here, and it's just lava now. It's just lava now. That's horrifying. It's horrifying. Horrifying. Nailed it. You nailed it. (laughs) Amazing. All right. Moving on to February 1999, Urza's Legacy. More colorless Thran tech. All of these are pretty spicy depictions for the Thran book. The War Machine is the first visual for the artifact creatures that fought in the Thran War. The lens cements the Thran's views on colors of mana and magic. Most interestingly, the Thran weaponry card shows the power armor that Yogmoth designed for his Proto-Phyrexian army. Also, we finally have some more detailed looks at the mana rig and the goblins that work in it. So we'll start with, it looks like, Thran Lens, which is a two-colorless artifact that makes all permanents colorless. And you get the following flavor text, which is a quote from Urza's journal. Every device in the rig is evidence of Thran enlightenment. All mana was the same to them, whether from rock or water, growth or decay. Can you imagine such unity of vision? And for the Thran lens, it's like multiple lenses almost. Imagine like six oh. monocles kind of taped onto each other. <laughs> if we have people who are into D&D, it's like a map of co- cosmology mm-hmm. of the planes. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of really cool. It is pretty rad looking. I do like the art for that. And it, the make all permanents colorless is fascinating. I, I do yeah, like I the... Yeah, I really like the flavor of that. Mm-hmm. It's good flavor. We have the Thran War Machine, which is a four colorless artifact creature. It has the effect Echo. During your next upkeep after this permanent comes under your control, pay its casting cost or sacrifice it. Uh, which I think I like because it kind of echoes how like the Null Moon was like powering things and without that power they would just shut down. Right. It also attacks each turn if able. And we've got like a fat little robot war machine. I, I don't know what else to say about it. I'll leave that to our artist. <laughs> Let's see. I would say that it looks like it's... Imagine... A hat. (laughs) One of those rice hats. (laughs) Oh, okay, yeah, that's fair. But it has arms on the top of it, and then it has legs coming out of it. Mm -hmm. So, it's a little bit wonky, but it looks beefy. It looks beefy. I I do think it's unique. It's a four out of... Four, five. I can see that. Yeah. I can can get down with that. Mm Mm-hmm. We've got Thran Weaponry, which is a four colorless artifact that is going to depict that power stone armor. It also has Echo, which means we have to power it up. Yeah, got to power it up. You can choose not to untap Thran Weaponry during your untap phase. And the reason why is because for two and tapping it, all creatures get plus two, plus two, as long as Thran Weaponry remains tapped. I feel like this is proto-equipment. Like, I don't know if equipment was a thing yet, but this feels like an equipment, but it's for everything. And take a look at this Power Stone armor, which is kind of like, it just looks like robot armor. Like, <laughs> this is way... It it kind of finds its way into a middle between sci-fi and fantasy. Mm-hmm. It's... It's on a lizard person, which I actually kind of love that detail because it shows it covering like the tail too. Yeah. And it it does look like the form fitting kind of armor that was described in the books. Um, And it definitely looks sturdy. It looks like metal armor. Yeah, but it also looks powered up. It does. It definitely looks like it's being powered. It's, It's a really cool design. I like it. All right, we've got Crawl Space, which is a three colorless artifact that says no more than two creatures can attack you each combat. 
With the flavor text, the goblins did not understand their attraction to the mana rig. They simply knew it was where they belonged. And we've got a little goblin with an eye patch working on the mana rig, and he's really cute, and I love him immensely. Look at him. He loves his job. He fucking loves his job. This guy's just working away. Mm -hmm. Let's see. How many OSHA violations are there? <laughs> Let's see. Exposed wire, I'm pretty sure, is against that. He's like, not wearing can, a hard hat. He's not. You can have exposed wires as long as you are working on them in a safe environment. Because, like, what if you couldn't? What if it was just exposed and you're there to fix it? You know. I guess he could be fixing. Maybe. Maybe. I, I'll, I'll. I'll give it a pass. But he I should be wearing safety him. gear. Yes. We're reporting for that. <laughs> you won't get away from us. <laughs> we also have defense grid. Which is a two colorless artifact. During each player's turn, spells played by another player cost an additional three colorless. Jesus. Uh, flavor text is a quote. We've managed to keep the goblins in their assigned areas, but there's little we can do about the smell. From Whip Tongue, <laughs> via Shino Technician. <laughs> and so you see kind of a shield around what's just the mana rig. It's a... Uh, I'm sorry that the goblins stink, but get over it. <laughs> right? Like, fucking... They they are happy to be there. <laughs> Some people just stink, okay? It's fine. Be nice to them. Be nice They're to working Pay for, for them to have a bath, then. Make a little hot tub for them. Goblin hot tub should be a card. Again, with this combination of the sci-fi with the fantasy. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really where the Thran is finding their aesthetic yeah. is really, really cool and how advanced they were. Yeah, it's a really, really neat look at what they were. And finally, we have Impending Disaster, which is a one and red enchantment. During your upkeep, if there are seven or more lands in play, sacrifice Impending Disaster and destroy all lands. Ooh, hate that. Oh, with this quote... The goblins are in charge of maintenance. Why not just set it on fire now and call it a day? Also from Whip Tongue, the Viachino technician. You've got these <laughs> fucking racist ass. You got these goblins who are on lunch break while the tower fucking explodes above them. Like, oh, what? Little goblin eating a sandwich, just oblivious. Like, don't worry about <laughs> it. Don't worry about it. It's fine. <laughs> It's fine. They're fine. Let Leave them be. I love the face on the goblin. He's like, huh? yeah, what's going on? As he's eating his little, little meal. It's really cute. All right, moving on. June 1999, Urza's Destiny. The final set of the Urza block gave us more Thran tech. We get to see Proto-Karn in Thran Gollum. Sometime between 2016 and 2020, an alternate promo was released exclusive to Magic Online for Thran Gollum with new aesthetics. Richard also says, be warned, I'm skipping a lot from this set that will warrant discussion later on. So we'll start with Thran Dynamo, which is a four colorless artifact. You can tap it to add three colorless mana to your mana pool. Uh, flavor text here. Urza's meta-Thran children were conceived, birthed, and nurtured by an integrated system of machines. I've heard Richard rant about meta-Thran. I'm so fucking curious what that could mean. The Thran Dynamo looks like a... Like a containment unit of some it sort. This looks like an urn with pipes in it. Yeah, pretty much. It's pretty basic. Interesting. Interesting. We move on to the Thran Foundry, which is a one colorless artifact. And for one in tapping it, we remove Thran Foundry from the game. 
target player shuffles his or her graveyard into his or her library. Uh, there is a quote from Urza on here. What we do not use up, we use again. That's and good. I think Urza is explicitly on here. If not, I don't know who this like dude looking in on this uh, conveyor belt kind of factory is. As like I think goblins are working on it in the background. Uh, that makes sense because he's depicted as having light hair. I think you're right. So I wouldn't be surprised if that is Urza. But if not, it's just, I don't know, some dude, I guess. It would make more sense if it was Urza. <laughs> but yeah, it's like a little, it's like a little conveyor belt bringing things into like what looks kind of like a forge. This one I really like because the other depictions of like the mana rigs and the other things feel very detached while this one has like background like it it goes on it's it's more active yes it feels it feels fuller it feels alive like it's there's something actually going on there rather than just kind of a pullback and looking at like a big scope of the rig this is inside it this is seeing the inner workings this is as it's going on Mm -hmm. which is really kind of neat We've got the Thran Golem, which is the uh, Proto-Karn. It is a five colorless, three, three artifact creature Golem. And as long as Thran Golem is enchanted, it gets plus two, plus two, and gains flying, first strike, and trample. Then we get this flavor text. Karn felt more secure about his value to Urza when he realizes, when he realized he didn't need regular trimming. <laughs> and that's that's what the, For, the <laughs> what the fuck he looks like he needs trimming though i th- i think that that's not karn though that's the yeah. thing of that that's what the first attempts at making a karn were and so this is what he's referring to like it looks like a golem with a ton of metal spikes coming out of it and that's probably the trimming he looks like he's just a thorn like a rose thorn yeah just covered in rose thorns he's just covered in thorns uh, but there's that. And then we've got the reprint of Thran Golem with new flavor text. The golems of the ancient Thran still draw power in ways that baffle the artificers of today. Um, this art, like I said, a little less unique. It does still kind of just look like a basic golem, metal golem, with like a couple people for scale. It, for me, it kind of echoes the way that people have depicted Phyrexians mm-hmm. with the metal being as like muscle tendons yeah. and like weaving in and out. And I think that's kind of interesting that it kind of recalls that. Yeah, that's a really good point. I, I like that interpretation. All right, moving on to October 1999, we have Mercadian Masks set which is the final representation of the Thran prior to the publication of the novel in December 1999. Everything from this point on will have the book to look back on for influence rather than the other way around. Due to the setting, this card likely depicts a Thran artifact creature built on Mercadia after Dyfed dumped the Thran survivors there. This is the Henge Guardian, which is a five colorless artifact creature, 3-4, and then you can pay two colorless to give it trample until the end of turn. The flavor text is thus. Like so many Thran relics, the worm engine kept operating long after its creators were gone. It's a little dragon! Look at him, he's like a little dragon guy. Oh, that's really cute. I love him, he's very pleasant. I like the detail on the wings because it feels like 
you know how bellows look? Yeah. It feels like a bellows to be, like, it's joint. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a really interesting, just artifact creature design. I, I like him. And I like that it's in the desert where mm-hmm. Halcyon is. Yeah. <laughs> well, this was. is, this is Mercadia, but it, it I is. I mean, same shit. I don't <laughs> care. There's Thran there. There's Thran there. It's Thran now. That's, that's how it works, right? <laughs> All right. We move on to October 2000 with the Invasion set. All of the cards from Invasion that have anything to do with the Thran are depictions of the Mana Rig and the Viashino that help run it. Also skipping a lot here, but this art is some of the cleanest looks at Thran architecture we have seen yet. We start with the three and red sorcery, Bend or Break. Each player separates all land cards he or she controls into two face-up piles. For each player, an opponent chooses a pile. Destroy all lands in that pile. Tap all lands in the other pile. And we have a pretty fuller look at the matter rig that's got legs now. It's walking. <laughs> it's going. Oh, wow. It has places ha- to be. Howl's moving matter rig. <laughs> kind, it kind of has that shape. It not does kind of have that shape. That Miyazaki shape up to it. Mm-hmm. The jaw. Yeah. Is it fucking on? It's on drugs. No, like the white <laughs> shit. Here, let me, let me take a look at... Um... I'm almost wondering if that's, like, water. I genuinely don't know. Or Oh, is that steam coming out of the pipes in the lower corner? Oh. Yeah, that must be what it is. Okay, All I'll right. take it. We've solved it. Next, we have Scorching Lava, which is a one in red instant, but with a kicker cost, you can pay an additional red. It deals two damage to target creature or player, but if you paid the kicker cost, that creature can't be regenerated this turn, and if it would be put into a graveyard this turn, remove it from the game instead. Portal exile mechanics. And here we have the mana rig shooting fucking lasers at something? I'm not sure what, (laughs) but it's clearly a threat. Jesus Christ. It's a fire in its lasers. Like, you can see the steam coming out of its ass... Or it's mm-hmm. pee pee. Um, <laughs> oh, it has that defense matrix mm-hmm. over it, and I, what the fuck is that? I do love this reveal that the mana rig is just a howl moving castle. Yeah, <laughs> with lasers. Just really weird. That's what the movie needed was lasers. Fuck, they missed out. Calcifer would have been losing his shit. <laughs> Violence, violence, violence. But I think that makes a lot of sense for the mana rig to do that because it needed, um, it needed mana from the land, so it would go to where it needed to go. Yeah, yeah. No, that's that's a really good point, actually. I like that. We've got a Viashino Grappler, which is a two in red, three one creature Viashino. But you can pay one green to give it trample until the end of turn. And the relevant thing here is the flavor text. They've returned for the mana rig, but it no longer belongs to them. From Viashino Bay, B-E-Y. I don't know if that's just like a type of Viashino, but you can see a kind of like robotically... Oh no, he's carrying a... Oh, he might be carrying off a Phyrexian. I'm generally not sure, but it's a lizard person carrying off a robot guy. Oh, that looks like a Phyrexian. I, I think that's probably a Phyrexian. Because it has that weaving metal yeah. into flesh. Yeah, 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 yeah. Viashino just look like fucking raptors here. They do look like raptors. I like them. I like old lizard folk. They're cute. Fuck them up. Fuck them up. All right. We continue to June 2001, Apocalypse. 
The next time we would see anything, Thran would be in the form of a land in the set Apocalypse. The Caves of the Dam, now known as the Caves of Koilos, finally had visual representation on a card. This one was just redesigned this year with the release of Dominaria United. So the Caves of Koilos is a land that you can tap to add a colorless mana to your mana pool, or you can tap to add a white or black to your mana pool, but it deals one damage to you. This is one of the, I think it's referred to as the pain lands, because they deal pain to you in return for getting instant, like, double color value. So the first start is kind of old-fashioned caves and desert look. Um, it's not necessarily like a unique design per se, but it's there. I do like seeing the desert. I don't know why that is. I just like the consequences <laughs> of their actions made real. <laughs> and then the art below it is the Dominaria United, which I think is a little more unique looking. Yeah, you can see like the remnants of dead Phyrexians, mm-hmm. like little things jutting out. Yeah, and that to me is like just a little more interesting. Yeah. I, I like the art. It has more of a like oh god what is it called when it's the uh environmental storytelling yeah environmental storytelling is is really good now i really like looking at that um there's also the full art print that looks like it just unironically might be showing bits of the portal i'm not that sure. does look like the portal it does look like the portal um i'll, I'll let vorthos's chime in we move on to June 2006 with Time Spiral. Uh, with Time Spiral's release, references to old-school magic cards was at an all-time high. Despite this, the only new Thran-related car that saw print was... Phthysis. <laughs> it is a 3 and 4 black sorcery. You can destroy target creature. Its controller loses life equal to its power plus its toughness. You can also suspend five for one in a black. Rather than play this card from your hand, you may pay one in a black and remove it from the game with five time counters on it. At the beginning of your upkeep, remove a time counter. When you remove the last, play it without paying its mana costs. Hmm. And we see a decaying ankylosaur with like a weird kind of like mana shield around it. <laughs> I don't know how else to describe that. I love the effect implications there with suspend where it's like, Oh, the disease isn't going to kill you right away. You're going to slow. It's a go. slow degeneration. Mm-hmm. Which is exactly what... The, what Dysis is. Exactly. So it's it's perfect. I, I love that as a card. Fantastic idea, even if the art's kind of a little like... What's it's a little that? weird, but I, I, it it does kind of... I mean, it's hard to show Dysis as a still image. I would I would have maybe requested as an artist is like think of how Gix was described and or Glacian is like having those black sores over their body. Yeah, like so maybe like slowly. a glimpse of like an arm and like showing like smaller sores near the neck that are starting to appear with like these big black like oozing like a sores. Crawling up the arm. Yeah, I think that's how I might have done it. But this art's still fine. I'll I'll accept this. From there Thran references were a real dry spell until June 2012 in Plane Chase 2012. We wouldn't see another card until Fractured Power Stone. It is a real oddball that has an effect that isn't legal in most of the formats it's playable in. (laughs) Uh, And you'll see why in a second. It is a two colorless artifact. Its first effect is tap to add a colorless mana to your mana pool, but you can also tap to roll the planar die, which is for Plane Chase only, right. which we've played a couple times, I think you're familiar, you, you yeah. have the sets 
the cards that are places that have effects on the board. Yeah. Um, and you can activate that ability only anytime you could activate a sorcery. Uh, flavor text. The Thran learns to capture mana, but power inevitably escapes its bonds. And pretty generic art. It's a glowy stone. <laughs> like Not much more to it than that. It sure looks like a fractured power stone. <laughs> That's pretty on the nose. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Why I'll, not? I'll go with it. Why not? We then move on to April 2018 with Dominaria. The Dominaria set went hard on Thran artifacts and lore with some of the most interesting and wild additions to this review. The most important one is the fall of the Thran saga, which we already talked about, depicts the Thran war and the rising of the Null Moon. Sulphur Falls is a reprint from Innistrad of all places, reworked to represent a location on Dominaria. However, while the flavor text mentions the Thran, it does not have a clearly spelled out connection yet. We also have more relics, including a smaller version of the Null Sphere. But the true wild card here is Evra, Halcyon Witness. I include her lore blurb, which was the format that replaced the novels and short stories for a time. She is actively retconned into the end of the story of the Thran, and has apparently been chilling around there indefinitely. Her character has no other appearance beyond what is shown below, and is the first character, quote, from the Thran ever printed. <laughs> so... Let's get in there. Um, I'm. We've already gone through Fall of the Thran, so I'm not going to put us through that another time. So we're going to go straight to Sulphur Falls, which is a land that enters tapped unless you control an island or a mountain, and you can tap to add red or blue. Flavor text. A quote, We have inherited the mysteries of the Thran, but few of the answers. From Joyra, uh, who is a character I know is named and will be important uh, later, but for now, uh, it's, it's Falls that... Look sulfury. It's not yeah, too it's, much more than that. It's nice. It's pleasant. I like the I like the art. The art's cool. We move on to Damping Sphere, which is a two colorless artifact. It has two abilities. If a land is tapped for two or more mana, it produces colorless instead of any other type and amount. And each spell a player casts costs one more to cast for each other spell that player has cast this turn. So it's punishing like Things like Gaia's Cradle that tap for 10 fucking billion green mana, um, that sort of thing. It's also got some flavor text. A Thran relic, it has spent 10,000 years doing absolutely nothing. Me. And so, <laughs> it's you. That's just what the card's depicting. Not the Null Sphere. No, no, no. That's just you. <laughs> it's interesting. I love how artificial it looks, because we usually just get the glimpse where it just looks like a moon, but like this you can see that it was like a place. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And then f we got the Thran Temporal Gateway, which is a four-colorless legendary artifact, um, which is in my Jota deck, and you will see why in a minute. So for four and tapping, you may put a historic permanent card from your hand onto the battlefield. Historics are artifacts, legendaries, or sagas. So if it costs more than four, just get it for four. It's got flavor texts. The portal opens not to the past... But from it, those who step through discover an unimaginable future. So I think this is the portal to Phyrexia, maybe? <laughs> like, that would be my guess for what that is. Especially because unimaginable future you could take in a kind of horror sense. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure. But I mean, it's temporal, so... That is time. Yeah. I'm not sure. Maybe someone can chime in with their thoughts. Maybe it's this is like a... 
That's what Teferi steps out of when he comes into <laughs> yeah, the Brothers like, War. This, I'm like, is this like Teferi technology? or I, I don't know. I, like I said, someone can chime in and let us know. We've got the Guardians of Koilos, which are five colorless, four, four artifact creature constructs. And when it enters the battlefield, you may return another target historic permanent you control to its owner's hand. So good for if somebody stole something of yours, or if you want to play something again for another enter the battlefield trigger. Um, flavor text. Archaeologists depend on automatons inspired by their previous discoveries at Koilos to guard the excavations. And we've got some... This guy with, like, this electric-ass mace as a little construct creature, and you can see more of them in the background. They're, they're cute little guys, but not super unique. Yeah, they look they look a little sci-fi. A little sci-fi-y. We've got Power Stone Shard! It's a three-colorless artifact, and you can tap to add a colorless for each artifact you control named Power Stone Shard. So explicitly better in, like, modern-style decks yeah. where you can have, like, four of them. Uh, flavor texts, a quote from Teferi. Light passing through a power stone is refracted by eternity and colored by planar energy. I wonder how the world appeared through Urza's eyes. You will understand the significance of that later. Okay. <laughs> but, uh, once again, this power stone shard is not optimal. It has uh -uh. not enough sides. It is not a perfect d20. It is. It's not. <sighs> I think it is Teferi holding it, though, by yeah. the look of it. It's, so it's just like a clear little gem with like a glowing Center. I can see some of the facets that could have been like the outside of it. It looks like a broken off piece of a power. Well, I mean, I mean, it is a power stone shard. Yeah, so I, so. I guess that makes sense. Okay, you know what? I'll accept I'll take. I'll take it. We'll take it. <laughs> All right, and then finally, we've got Evra Halcyon Witness. So I'll start with describing the card, and then I'll read her blurb. So she is a four and two white legendary creature avatar, a four four with lifelink. And for four, exchange your life total with Evra Halcyon Witness's power. Uh, flavor text. Light from the Null Moon took form, a mirage made real, alone in Grandor, isolated in a world that had once been its own. A quote from The Fall of the Thran. And then we've got her paragraph that was on the website at one point. 10,000 years ago, the ancient Thran civilization was assaulted from within by monstrous Phyrexians. At the culmination of the Civil War, a massive effort of magical technology destroyed the Thran capital of Halcyon. The forces that were unleashed created the Avatar Evra, an embodiment of Thran achievement and silent witness to the city's destruction. So, she's an all-white god creature. Is this just the, the nuke juice made human form? <laughs> I think so. <laughs> she's the nuke juice. <laughs> so what if nuclear fallout had a personality? Literally. Literally, that's the card. I genuinely don't know what this adds to anything. <laughs> like, this is kind why of why is this? Why was it retconned? Why is it here? Who knows? Especially it's somebody to have a recollection. Like if if she never comes up again, why? Like I would if you were trying to integrate her, like again to fairy style. Oh, you're gonna learn something about the Thran, but apparently not. So like, God, that's thanks, weird. thanks, thanks, that's, wizards. That's weird. All right. We cut to June 2019, Modern Horizons. We've already reviewed it, but this is when Yawgmoth Thran Physician was formally printed for the first time. There's our boy. August 2020, Double Masters. A small reference to the Thran is made in the reprint of Urza's Tower in Double Masters. 
Much like Ornithopter, the flavor text was changed to make the tower Thran inspired. So we've got... It's a land. You can tap to add a colorless, but if you control Urza's Mine and Urza's Power Plant, you add three colorless instead. The flavor text is thus. Urza studied the creations of the Thran, not simply to learn from them, but to surpass them. You've got uh, regular and alt art. Um, they're artifact-looking tower-ish stuff. It's an interesting silhouette, but again, not necessarily much to talk about in terms of the art there. I like the colors better on the full art one. Agreed. It looks much more interesting on the full it's, art. It's... I just... I'm a sucker for that mint cyan green. Mm-hmm. You you are a mint lover. Yeah. <laughs> but, mint lover, I say, with, with disdain. <laughs> mint. I like it. It's good. We move on to November 2020 with Commander Legends, and this is when Rebic and Glacian were printed. And then from there, uh, April 2021, Secret Lair Culture Shocks Grixis. Now, this one is a curveball that Richard really loves. Taking the lead from the reprint of Sulphur Falls and Dominaria, Steam Vents canonizes that the Thran took place on red-blue land. Combining this with the white-black caves of Koilos, I like to imagine that Halcyon and the Thran Empire was built on a locale with all the colors of mana relatively available except for green. This is why nobody in the Thran novel could go outside, touch some grass, and calm the fuck down. (laughs) (laughs) Jokes aside, it is cool to know what the world below Halcyon looked like. The original printing of Steam Vents was for Ravnica's Izzet Guild. So, we've got the Steam Vents. It is a island mountain. As it enters the battlefield, you can pay two life. If you don't, it enters tapped. Flavor text. Despite being abandoned for millennia, the Thran ironworks still occasionally sputter to life. So you've got steam vents with like artifact areas kind of in the distance behind it which i think is really cool um and i i think richard's theory about touching grass is correct yeah i i approve of this theory yeah they just needed some nature just need to go touch grass j robert king has this thing against elves and green i guess (laughs) god he fucking does it's wild all right september 2022 dominaria united in our most recent set, we have more repurposed Thran tech, a direct callback to Yogmoth's medical practices in the novel, and some architecture in the form of the Thran Gate. There's also a direct reference to the Null Moon in Meteorite. Also of note, in the Commander's supplemental sets, we get our first true printing of the Mana Rig. Throughout the set, we see several references to the Rig and the goblins that are still working there. So we start with a one in white instant artillery blast. It's got domain where it deals X damage to target tapped creature where X plus is one plus the number of basic land types among lands you control. A flavor text to conserve ammunition. Joyra modified ancient Thran artillery cannons to fire gouts of pure sheet and lava. So it can't fire lasers anymore. So it's just firing lava. It's like a same shit. It's, it's definitely a lot more sci-fi. And yeah. I, I kind of love that approach where it looks almost like a fucking star Wars laser. It really does. Mm-hmm. We have Phyrexian Vivisector, which is a one in black creature Phyrexian human, 2-2. Whenever a creature dies, a creature you control dies, you scry one. And then flavor text. Before he was the father of machines, Yogmoth was a twisted Thran physician, and his legacy of medical atrocities lives on in New Phyrexia. And we've got a, a Flan... A, Fran, a Phyrexian Vivisector. <laughs> it's, it's pretty much what it is. She's, she's looking at kind of like a bug creature... Um, I kind of love her design. I love her kind of bald, mechanical, like, she she fucking looks like a Cenobite almost. From... She looks really good. <laughs> she does look good. And, like, 
part of her. Like, she's humanoid, but she has, like, Doc Ock tentacles that are, Mm -hmm. like, manipulators. Yeah, and And I like that. The effect of scrying one from death, like, learning from death, I think is a pretty good, like, flavor text in practice, anyway. We've got Thran Portal, which is a gate land. It enters the battlefield tapped, unless you control two or fewer other lands. And then when it enters the battlefield, you choose a basic land type. It is a chosen type in addition to its other types. Mana abilities of Thran Portal cost an additional one life to activate. Um, So this is kind of out in nature. I don't know what this portal leads to. I would be curious, because that's clearly not the one in the Caves of the Damned or anything like that. No. What were the Thran using portals for other than going to Phyrexia and looking back in time, like, I guess? I know. It's like, portals don't exist except for this one and this one. Like, like why, why are there it, so many portals? Ugh. I would say it's like, oh, it looks like a mana generator, but it's explicitly a gate. So is it sending mana elsewhere, maybe? I don't know. And maybe, like, maybe the portal is put on the land of your choice so you can send that mana back to wherever you are. Mm. And this shit is massive. It's fucking huge. It is no joke. Mm. Like, there's a waterfall fucking underneath it, like, a, a valley that looks like a whole town can fit in. Mm-hmm. This thing is it's gargantuan. It's huge. Big boy. Big boy. All right, we have the card Meteorite. It is a five colorless artifact, and when it enters the battlefield, it deals two damage to any target, and then you can tap it to add a mana of any color. <laughs> so it just hits you with a rock, and then uses the rock to hit you again. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and then it's got a flavor text that's a quote from a Talarian field dispatch. Material at dig site 165 beta confirmed to be of null moon origin. Immediate excavation assistance requested. It's a meteorite chunk. Not much more to say. Yeah. It's it's a white meteorite chunk from the moon, I guess. Interesting. Um, but not really. Not, not super much. We have the mana rig, which is a three colorless legendary artifact. Whenever you cast a multicolored spell, you create a tapped power stone token. It's an artifact with tap to add a colorless mana, but it cannot be spent to cast a non-artifact spell. You can also pay 3x and tap it to look at the top x cards of your library, put up to two of them into your hand, and the rest onto the bottom of your library in a random order. And I'm sure shit, it's the mana rig, and it's full Howl Moving Castle glory. I really, really like the... You can only use it to cast a non-artifact spell, like, to power it up. Mm-hmm. I really, really like that. It's really cool. I, I really do have to love how even the card's effects can kind of be flavor text in a way. Mm-hmm. And looks pretty good. Looks exactly like the mana rig. We've also got uh, our basic mountain depicts the mana rig over a volcano. Oh, look at the little guy. There he is walking around. <laughs> Getting some red mana. Let's get in there. We've got a Goblin Picker, which is a one in red creature goblin 2-2. You can pay red and discard a card to draw a card. Flavor text, countless generations of Sheevan goblins have worked on the mana rig, giving them an unparalleled eye for useful relics. And he's a goblin looking at a little relic. There he is. Look at him. Look at him go. He's kind of like in the foreground. He's, it's like kind of sci-fi-y. It's a little again, sci-fi-y and I like again. it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's always kind of interesting how sci-fi the Thran is made to look. Yeah. And then finally, we have the Sheevan Reef, which is a land, it's it's a pain land. You can add blue or red, but it deals one damage to you, otherwise it's colorless. Flavor text, the boiling seas around Shiv provided a welcome layer of protection for the reclaimed mana rig. 
and it's like a coral reef with like a volcano in the background. It's oh, really pretty. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Like the contrast is really beautiful. I like it. I like it a lot. All right. Last thing of note here. With the exception of Morinfen, Evra, and Meteorite, I left out most depictions of the Null Moon because technically every single card that shows Dominaria's sky at night shows it. Most of these cards are irrelevant to the Thran beyond, oh dang, look at the moon. <laughs> I have two examples here that look pretty good though, so he's added them to the end as an extra. There is the Everglade land, which is, um, it comes into play tapped. Uh, when it comes into play, return an untapped swamp you control to its owner's hand or bury Everglades, and you can tap it to add a swamp and one colorless mana to your mana pool. There's the moon in the background. That looks pretty. And then there's also just a Dominaria-themed swamp. There it is with an all moon in the background. Amazing. And that's it. That's the dissertation. Like we said, this will be linked onto our podcast description if you want to look at these cards, see Richard's write-up, and enjoy. Thank you for putting that together, my darling fiancé, especially with links to when they came out. Yes. Thank you. But yeah, it's really kind of interesting how little there is explicitly referencing the Thran, and it seems like most of it is based around the mana rig, which clearly becomes way more important in later sets. I think... That it is right that they have so little. Yeah. Because so much is lost from the death clouds mm-hmm. that anything surviving is going to be scarce. And like the like the fact of them being so little is flavor text in itself. Yeah. And I, I you're right. And I do kind of like that it's like, well, a lot has been lost to time and we're probably never going to reclaim every part of it. But, like, that's neat. That tells a story, that tells a really interesting story that so many of these cards are looking back at the Thran rather than being there in the Thran's glory. In fact, I want to say, like, explicitly all of, but the only cards that are in the Thran itself would be, like, the Rebic Glacian and the Ogmoth cards. Yeah, those are the only Mm -hmm. of their time, kind of. And I like it. Like, the the artifacts have longevity. Mm -hmm. They survive through it. And the artifact creatures... I don't know. I think just any it's I think they did it very expertly mm-hmm. in weaving it with other like with the more contemporary um mm-hmm. like storylines. It's there even if it's subtle. And, yeah. And I do like that. So that's I think gonna wrap up the Thran. Do we have any closing statements about the book, about the cards, about Gix being canon in Brothers War set, thank God. <laughs> um, I just want to say, mm-hmm. in Gix, may we all live. Thank God. Amen. Amen. And we'll see you in season two. We'll see you in season two. Thank you so much for tuning in. As we said, y'all are y'all are keeping us going and letting this happen. I'm your host, Marina, signing off season one. And this is Sunny saying bye. Bye. Goodbye. Goodbye. Thanks. Thanks.